Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the Archelaus. So have you ever been in a spaceship? Don't try this at home. Secrets of Area 51 Reveal. I'm from Series A, not Series B. Who are you, huh? Yeah, hey, Mama. It's time to open your eyes, open your mind, and shift your paradigm. You're tuned in to another episode of All Night with Living Geeks, a podcast in which we investigate and discuss high strangeness in the weird world in which we live. I'm your host, Taylor, and across the virtual desk for me tonight is my brother, Seb. Seb, how are you doing? Hey, good evening. I'm doing pretty good. We've survived another month. Uh, Indeed. It's a couple ups, couple downs this month. Um, it's, it has been a heck of a month. Uh, some exciting um, family history news, I'm, I'm happy to report. Uh, I've got a hot lead that our great-grandfather's long-lost unpublished autobiography, a copy has turned up in Oregon. So hopefully oh. I can get a, get a hold of that uh, in the near future, maybe in April. Fingers that crossed. That would be very cool, yeah. I've, I've been looking for this for about a decade and yeah. um, the, I had previously been told last weekend that it had been intentionally destroyed. Um, so hopefully that's not true. Hopefully there is a copy out there that we can get a hold of and take a look at it. So Road trip. <laughs> I know. I've never been to Oregon. <laughs> Oregon's a beautiful state. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I haven't been in quite some time, but I have been up there before, and I've got a lot of friends who live up that way. And it is, yeah, it's pretty country. Well, speaking of traveling, you just got back from a fun travel, it sounds like. Yeah, nice segue. I did. I got back just about 26 hours ago from um, the Doctor Who convention Gallifrey One down in Los Angeles. Awesome. I was down there for for four days of fun and festivities and hanging with the Galley fam. Mm. Um, Right? Our podcast sometimes co-hosts John, my podcast Mm co-host, John. Um, And yeah, lots of friends. Um, Trying to think if there's just any any big highlights. Uh, Got to uh, meet and get autographs from a couple of classic uh, Doctor Who companions mm. um, got to have my photo taken with the most recent on-screen Doctor Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, um, which was which was a lot of fun. Um, and I I kind of had like a like a uh, a tiki bar tiki lounge vibe uh, Doctor costume going on. Mm. Um, and and I ran into so many people who were like, "This is so cool." <laughs> I love Tiki stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that next year we might try to organize what is tentatively being called a Tiki Who meetup. <gasps> nice. Yeah. So I I may have started something here. You you birthed a <laughs> whole Doctor Who subculture. I love it. Very possibly. Many many years ago, uh, somebody actually built a a Tiki Dalek. <laughs> which which is hilarious i mean there there are pictures of it around lots of bamboo like grass skirt you know like like the fake the fake the fake coconut bras yeah right those comprise like the little like round bumps on like the the skirt of the dalek oh no um yeah it's it's that, it's pretty cool it's awesome. pretty cool <clears throat> So yeah, that was a lot of fun, um, and it and it was great because I got to talk with um, some uh, some friends who also do podcasting. Uh, one in particular, I'm going to give a shout out, Michael Nixon. If you're listening, hello, hi, how are you? Um, he's part of a show called The Game of Rassilon. Oh, and they they do a uh, um, 
a live Doctor Who role-playing game. Oh. Um, you know, basically as their podcast. So they, they basically are kind of plotting out their own Doctor Who stories um, that way. And he's also um, a fan of Hellier. Oh, very cool. Michael is. So I was talking to him and I was like, oh, hey, did you know we finally did... We finally did episodes on Hellier yeah. on our other show. And he's like, no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, we did months and months of preloading for it. He's like, oh, I got to subscribe to you guys right now. So oh, that's awesome. Hopefully he is he is listening. Um, and, and if you are also fans of Doctor Who, go check out Game of Rassilon. Um, it's a very, very entertaining podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, lots of fun travels to be had mm. and here we are now beginning of march wow our our second episode of our kind of from the pages season mm-hmm. and I, I i think we've got some good ones i i did kind of juggle the order from mm-hmm. uh last month just because i think you have got the more exciting story so i'm like oh, let's save you i don't for know about last. that but okay but um, that's very kind of you to say <clears throat> but before we get to that I want to talk about what is new in our weird. Seb, how was February for you? Well, I've got to tell you, I read a article um, recently that really, really just blew my mind. And I really wanted to talk about it briefly here. Um, and in fact, the notes I put together are not brief at all. So hopefully I won't <laughs> monopolize the episode. But I've got to tell you, I've recently read an article featuring my new favorite solution to the UFO mystery. Um, it was written by somebody that I've never heard of, but with the most interesting resume I can imagine. Uh, his name is Dr. Eric Hasseltine. He's, okay. a, he's a former executive vice president of research and development for Walt Disney Imagineering. Mm-hmm. And he also served as the director of research for the Nas- National Security Agency. Interesting. And in a recent article about UFOs titled New Government UFO Report Hits Hints at Surprising Science, published in Psychology Today magazine, Hasseltine speculates that some UFO reports represent an advanced technology including matter in a plasma state. Um, UFOs, quote, traveling far faster than sound through the atmosphere produce no sonic booms or other forms of turbulence. One explanation is that they have no aerodynamic services that would create sonic booms because they are an exotic yet known form of matter called free air plasmas. These hmm. explanations, in one way or another, solve the mystery of astonishing acceleration and velocities. Unquote. And when I read his article, things just started clicking in my mind. All these weird little uh, details in different UFO reports that I've read for my whole life, basically since childhood, started to fall into place. And and I wanted to take you and to take our listeners through a really quick, brief uh, expl- exploration of imagination just for a second. Okay. Let's let's imagine that some UFOs are nuts and bolts vehicles, right? That mm-hmm. are, it's an incredibly advanced form of technology, okay? So reading this guy's article inspired me to imagine that, for a moment, let's imagine that a technology exists where a solid piece of matter could be instantly converted into a liquid, gaseous, or plasma state, rearranged into any desired shape, and then back again, right? So let's imagine you have a UFO. It's parked on the ground, for instance, and it would possess a hull of solid matter, right? But in in flight, let's imagine the technology could convert the craft into a plasma state. Now, this would account for the characteristics described by by Dr. Hasseltine. But but I imagine that this technology might also possibly explain other observed UFO phenomena, like the intense glow of some UFOs. Mm-hmm. There's also some accounts where people witness UFOs apparently splitting into two or more 
craft amid a mass of sparks and then joining back up again into a single vehicle, right? Okay, yeah. So so maybe you're flying around in UFO and all of a sudden you want to have two vehicles going in opposite directions. It could like, you know, sort of instantaneously melt and then re-solidify and each craft go in their own separate way directions. Hmm. And then this technology could explain this weird little detail by our good old friend Bob Lazar who, of course, famously claimed to have worked on reverse engineering UFO for the government in Nevada in the 1980s. Okay. So there's this weird like, throwaway like, thing that he talks about the inside of the UFO, how it looked. And he claimed that the interior of the craft he worked on had no sharp angles, but instead appeared as if the seats and everything had been made of wax and then slightly heated for a moment and kind of got curved, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then I started thinking, if this technology exists in the way I imagine it, Perhaps this re-solidifying of such a craft or, the, or, or, or craft or the lazy re-solidifying of such a craft produces this effect, kind of like leaving one's bedroom messy. You know what I mean? Anyway, so it was just this article I read and all these things just started clicking into place. And I was just like, I don't know. That was my month, basically, in my what's new this, this month for, uh, for my weird world. But um, anyway... Uh, what about what about you? What's new in your weird this month? I, I was just gonna say that yours is really interesting. Mm. That that's hmm. I and, like if nothing else, I like the thought experiment of it. Mm-hmm. And, <clears> who, <throat> and who knew there was a connection between Disney and the NSA? So yeah, that's that's almost more weird, <laughs> right? Than anything else. Um, so mine mine is kind of synchronistic. Mm, okay. Um, so I. Um, I'll be honest, I kind of struggled for a little bit to find uh, the story I wanted to talk about Mm. this month. Um, I kind of spent longer than I had anticipated digging around for it. But on the the 6th of February, Mm -hmm. um, I had chosen uh, the story. um, And just a quick preview, you probably saw it in the title, folks, but it takes place in the little town of Wahiwa. Mm. uh on oahu in hawaii um i lately i've been actually really enjoying listening to actual terrestrial radio from hawaii oh cool um and and for whatever reason the station that i'd be listening to out of maui their live stream okay went went dead for like 10 days or something so i was listening to basically its sister station out of oahu Mm. um and so that same day like i'd picked the story i'd got it got it into the show notes and then I'm listening to it later and it's what a two hour difference mm. uh, time zone wise between here and there. So it can be, you know, mid morning for me, but I'm still listening to the breakfast show oh, okay. over there. And so they take a call from a caller and sure enough, uh, and he won some sort of contest, I think is what it was. I forget. Um, and they're like, Oh, where are you from, brah? And he's like, Wahiwa. And I was like, I just kind of stopped and oh, I wow. went, shut up. It was meant to be. Like, seriously. Like, I, I'm sure it's just one of those things, like, you know, you, you buy a particular model of car, and now you start seeing it everywhere. So mm-hmm. now that I've, I've got this word mm-hmm. in my vocabulary, mm. you know, it pops up. But just, again, it's that timing. It, it was hours after I had picked it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I see what we're doing here. It's a sign. Yeah. Something like that, for sure. It's it was also kind of weird just in the past, like, few days, like the past week. Mm. Now, I, I don't think there's anything, like, dark or mystical about this, but I, I will admit 666 has, has been popping up a lot. Wait, what? 666. Wait, in what context? Like, and, like just 
popping up. Like it, it's jumped out at me on license plates. Oh, recently, um, I yesterday my flight was gate sixty six at Terminal Six. Oh, geez, no, coming home. No, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, and and even like the little order number on my lunch uh, that I got before getting on the flight had. 666 in it man i'm freaking out here a little bit i don't know i'm not because i just it's it's i don't i don't buy into the faith that that says that that's a big deal okay man all right you know but it's like oh huh that number's popping up a lot lately that's kind of interesting i'm glad your flight landed safely that's all i'm gonna say oh yeah landed just fine landed just fine landed over a day ago so i'm not even worried about it anymore all right okay anywho Anywho. um anywho so yeah you know i was talking about how i had some trouble kind of finding a story i we're still using uh the same kind of resource uh that we used uh last month Mm. um to find you know old scans and pdfs of um newsletters and magazines and stuff and i I went through quite a few, and I just didn't find anything that really jumped out at me. I thought, well, I did something that was, you know, <clears throat> in the, um, what, last month I did something in the A's or the C's or something like that. I'm mm-hmm. like, let's go down to, let's go down to the other alpha, end, mm-hmm. of the, end of the alphabet, and let's look there. And I wasn't finding anything. Mm-hmm. And I come back up toward the top, <clears throat> and I find the Akualele Research Group Bulletin. Ooh. And I'm like, really? A UFO bulletin? Out of Hawaii. I like it. Not only that, but Mm pre-statehood. And I was like, okay, this has got to be interesting. So I start reading through some of these. Um, And again, I'll have a link uh, in the show notes to the one that I'm talking about tonight. And from there, you can, you know, very easily find the other ones. Um, It's it's interesting. It's a short bulletin, anywhere from four to six pages. Mm -hmm. Um, What's really odd is that somebody in New Jersey was getting copies of this. Oh, um, because it's being scans. It's it's got you know the stamp and the um, the uh, mailing address and stuff on it. Okay. And I was like, wow, who in New Jersey was getting this UFO bulletin out of Hawaii? Yeah, in 1957. Okay, so um, it's it's interesting because you know some of it does talk about stuff that's uh, seen in the skies reports of ufos um sometimes it goes into uh uh recent military uh air- aircraft disasters oh, okay. crashes and stuff um i don't know if it's just because it's it's a slow month ufo wise mm-hmm. um and then every now and then the guy who who wrote it goes goes off on the international bankers oh Um, and, and it gets, gets a little weird in that sense. Now, whether or not there is this, you know, cabal of elites kind of thing, um, you know, the international bankers is interestingly enough, one of those names that comes up, uh, as, you know, people who kind of harassed John Keel. Yeah, Keel, right. Um, and even the new Kirks have, you know, have, uh, I should say have gotten letters from people claiming to be the international bankers. Oh. Um, so the fact that it comes up in here in any sort of discussion, I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Mm, Um, but the story in particular that I picked is called the green lady of Wahiwa. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a short little 
a paragraph here. It goes, a green lady, instead of little green men, has been causing mass hysteria at Wahiwa School, 20 miles north of Honolulu. Police were called in to investigate at the request of some of the parents. Five girls were consistent in their description of a green lady with seaweed hair, duck feet, <laughs> scaly skin, and claw-like hands. What? I feel like I saw these guys on an episode of Doctor Who once. Just, you know, putting that out there. I think they were the sea devils. Um, Other students weren't so sure. One fourth grader was sure the apparition was an older kid dressed in a Halloween costume. Nevertheless, a search party organized by the Wahiwa Chamber of Commerce combed the gulch uh, back of the school. The kids had seen the green lady there several times during the first week in April and found nothing. So that's the story it starts with. And I start, and right off the bat, my first reaction is like, oh, this has, this has like the vibe and like the trope of La Llorona, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Which is a, um, uh, which is a, if if I'm not mistaken, a Mexican um, uh, tale that uh, I believe it was a, it was a crying woman um, who is, um, haunting a particular place because um, she had drowned her children or or a child, mm. um, and so but but even then these kinds of tales you know you know people talk about oh it's the white lady of this place or that place and it's also kind of this trope of like well we don't want our kids going here. Mm-hmm. Right. It's going down into a gulch. It's going down into a ravine. It's going someplace dangerous. So Mm -hmm. we concoct a story Mm -hmm. to discourage them from going there because we want them to be safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So I start going, I'm like, well, this, I mean, it's got some really neat features. Mm -hmm. Seaweed hair, duck feet, scaly skin, claw like hands. Um, I'm like, I'm going to start just looking online to see if I can find like an origin point for this story. Assuming in my mind that this, this is an older tale. There's lots of, lots of old mythological tales, Mm. um, you know, in Hawaii. And most of what I find right off the bat are, you know, modern websites, travel sites, travel blogs, you know, 10 haunting tales from Hawaii. Right. Stuff like that. And they all basically have some more or less copy-pasted version of the same story. Had you heard of this story in some form or fashion before you saw it uh, researching for this month's episode? This particular one, no. Okay, okay. No. Obviously, La Llorona, you know, other sort of like white ladies, you know, apparitions seen in places... You know, looking for a children, you know, looking for a lost child, mourning a lost child, something like that. Those I've heard. This particular one, no, I hadn't. Okay. So there, I picked just kind of one side at, at random. Um, but even then it talks about, it talks in really vague generalities, you know, and, and I find ones where it, it gets stuff just complaint completely wrong. Mm. Like there's, there's one that says the legend goes that the green lady was once just a normal mother who enjoyed taking her children to the Wahiwa botanical garden in Honolulu. Mm. Go look at a map of Oahu people. <laughs> it is, it is 20 miles between Wahiwa and Honolulu. Okay. Okay. Um, so then I start going, okay, well, 
when when did the botanical garden open uh-huh. right if the botanical garden comes up as a fixture in this interestingly enough there is a very it's a very simple uh web page for the wahiwa historical society i want to bring this up real quick um so um through the enactment of the land act of 1895 the land of wahiwa was withdrawn from cattle grazing leases and offered for sale to farmers interested in diversified farming um let's see do 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 byron o'clark wrote to friends in california encouraging them to apply for the allotments for homesteading uh 12 applied and by the spring of 1899 the last of the colonists were settled on the land for the required three years um and so this wahiwa is kind of up in the mountains there's there's two volcanic peaks uh so they're kind of down in a valley if you were to travel from say honolulu toward the north shore of oahu which has some of the most amazing surfing in the world up there um so um what kind of grows out of this is the pineapple industry oh um it says here that uh, uh, Byron and Clark found some discarded pineapple slips, which he shared with Alfred Eames in 19, and in 1900, excuse me, they harvested their first crop in the community. Clark experimented in his home kitchen to can the fruit in glass jars. Hmm. Eames founded the Hawaiian Island Packing Company and built his first cannery in the Hiwa Heights area in 1902. The company was later known as Del Monte Fresh Produce. Oh, wow. Another homesteader and planter, Will Thomas, operated under the Thomas Pineapple Company, which in 1917, following his death, became the Libby McNeil and Libby of Honolulu. Hmm. Um, by uh, sorry, in July of 1900, James Drummond Dole was high bidder of a government auction for the 61 acres of land that was given up by one of the original homesteaders. He built a cannery next to his pineapple fields in Wahiwa and packed his first cans in 1903. Today, his Hawaiian pineapple company is known as Dole Food Company. Sure. Right? So we've got literally the hub of, you know, everything, you know, we we get if we want pineapple Mm -hmm. uh, in there. Uh, interestingly enough, they're, they're also not too long after was a, um, uh, military barracks and a military base, uh, built in the area. Uh, today there's actually a, um, uh, Navy communications center near there and oddly enough, an NSA installation. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So I go back then to the botanical gardens because the botanical gardens were originally, um, a uh a place where in the 1920s um sugar planters were create created basically an experimental arboretum mm. um and so they the the sugar planters association leased the land from the state of hawaii for experimental tree planting uh most of the garden's large trees date from that era the property was transferred to honolulu in 1950 mm-hmm. i think honolulu meaning the government i think that's the center of government on that island mm-hmm. and opened as a botanical garden in 1957. Oh, okay. So here we have the botanical garden opening the same year that this story mm. takes place. Okay. Um, and if you go to the botanical gardens website, there is a gulch that runs through the botanical garden. Okay. Now, right across the road is Wahiwa Elementary School, and there is also a uh, a river that runs behind the school, mm-hmm. which I believe is in a little bit of a gulch. It's got some elevation drop to it. <clears throat> um, 
So we geographically speaking, in terms of the story, uh-huh. we've got stuff that fits. Um, you know, uh, other tellings of the legend reference the botanical garden. The botanical garden isn't a thing in any sort of official capacity until 1957. Mm. And this story, this event takes place in April of 57. And I tasked you because I was having trouble finding it Mm. with trying to find an original newspaper article. Right. Talking about this. Um, And God love you, man. You you came through in spades as you found the article from the Honolulu Star Bulletin. Another link I will put in the show notes so you can check it out, folks. Um, From April 4th, 1957, page 10 of the Honolulu Star Bulletin. Uh, The headline reads, Seaweed Hair, Duck Feet, Green Lady of Wahiwa Horrifies School Children. (laughs) Let's let's also just take a moment to recognize that the headlines on the same page here in this clipping include um, uh, TH Cafeteria Chiefs to discuss school lunches. (laughs) So this this is clearly the school news section. But also, uh, coming soon, old car sale. Some 200 old cars will go on sealed bid sale Tuesday at the Damon offices of the Naval Supply Center, Pearl Harbor. So if you need you need a car cheap, (laughs) an old uh, old Navy Navy issue uh, Chevy or something, you're set. I love old newspapers. So this story goes, uh, the horror story type creature dubbed the Green Lady, has Wahiwa townspeople wondering whether it's fact or fiction, or a little bit of both. The Green Lady, in quotes, reportedly seen by at least a half-dozen children of the Wahiwa Elementary School during the past week, has been described as something akin to a denizen of the deep. Seaweed hair, duck feet, scaly skin, and claw-like hands. I think it's safe to say that uh, our man writing the UFO bulletin saw this article. So the newspaper article predates when the date on the news, UFO newsletter. Um, I am, well, it was early April. Okay. Uh, this was the April issue. So now, whether that means that it's, cre- it's, you know, generated before mm. April, um, They're almost, almost simultaneous. April. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, I'm trying to see. Oh, actually, no, look right up here at the top. It is dated the 7th of April. Oh, okay. It is dated the 7th of April. So this was just a few days old. Okay. And I'm looking down at the bottom here, and the cancellation uh, stamp on the post or the postmark, that's mm-hmm. what it's called, mm-hmm. words, words are a thing, <laughs> is April 18th okay. of 57. So yeah, this, this newsletter came out or was written three days after this article appeared in the Honolulu Star Bulletin. Gotcha. Okay. Wahiwa police stepped into the case Tuesday after receiving a call from a concerned resident who had heard rumors that mass hysteria was developing at the school. (laughs) Police questioned uh, Mrs. Violet Matsuoka, vice principal of the elementary school, who confirmed the fact that the story of the Green Lady had been making the round. The strange creature, police found out, is supposed to have been seen on several occasions in the Wahiwa Gulch behind the school gymnasium between California and Glen Avenues. Mm. So, running on that really quickly, just because I can, Mm -hmm. and I didn't have time to do it, 
uh, last week because it was a short week. Okay, between California and, oh, look at this. What's up? Well, what I'm looking at here on this map is that the Wahiwa Botanical Gardens itself uh-huh. is on California Avenue and out back behind... Like, if you were to continue going north, from south to north, you have California, the Wahiwa Botanical Garden is this big green area here, and then there's Glen Avenue. Mm, okay. So they are talking about the gulch in the Botanical Garden itself. Oh, okay. I can say that with certainty. Wahiwa Elementary School is on Glen Avenue, mm. uh, so north of the Botanical Garden. Okay. And I couldn't tell you when that school was built, uh, so I don't know if that is the same, you know, uh, property that they the school was on in '57. So we run with that for now. Uh, police officers Philo Owen, actually, no, that that S is there extraneously because it's just one person. Police officer Philo Owen, unless he's got multiple personality disorder, uh, questioned six students who said they had seen the Green Lady. Five of them, all girls under ten. Maintained steadfastly that the creature exists, has seaweed hair, duck feet, scaly skin, and claw-like hands, which apparently has to be said in that order. One of the youngsters even elaborated that the creature has no nose and one ear. Ah! Now, at that point, I go, mmm, there's that one kid who's like... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I I saw it too. I saw it too, and it and 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 it had it had no nose and and one ear. <laughs> Did you see both sides that it had? Uh, no, but it didn't have an ear on the other side, right? It, the, the, this is the first paragraph in the story that makes me feel like mm, some of this may be made a little made up. Okay, but I'm not discounting it just yet. Um, the sixth student, uh, a nine-year-old girl in the fourth grade, told the officer she had seen the creature close up, but firmly insisted the green lady looked like someone dressed in a green costume and wearing a Halloween mask. Now, keep in mind, this is April. Okay. We are on the opposite end of the year from Halloween. Okay? Yeah. So this young student said she thought the green lady... <clears throat> Could be a high school student trying to scare the elementary student. I mean, granted, I can't imagine that there's a lot to do in Wahiwa in the 1950s other than grow pineapples. Yeah. Um, and maybe be in the army at the barracks. So, sure, could be. Maybe a high schooler's like, I'm going to go punk these little kids. Mm-hmm. But a search party organized by the Wahiwa Chamber of Commerce combed the gulch but couldn't find anything remotely resembling the thing described by the student. Mm. Officer Owen said he felt the whole incident began by a vivid imagination with subsequent elaboration by young and impressionistic minds. Mm. And there we have the the news media going, oh, it's probably just some overexcited children. Mm-hmm. Now, as best as I can tell, um, <clears throat> I haven't been able to find an example or a tale of the Green Lady of Wahiwa that predates April of 1957. So like a mythological, cultural... Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't, I you know, I, I didn't spend, you know, weeks like digging through multiple books on Hawaiian mythology. I know you sent me a link to one and that was very helpful. Um, and I did a, a search for Wahiwa. I did a search for Green... Mm-hmm. 
Um, and most of that was somebody's last name mm, right. in that book. So I didn't get anything out of that 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 gave me this tale. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things and, and here's here's where kind of my my reasoning is going. I I liked this story um, because we've got an interesting looking creature, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then I go. And do a little bit of research, and I start wondering. I'm like, this may be the origin of this tale. Oh, it's got to be. It it really seems, unless there is something buried in a book somewhere that I wasn't able to bring up, mm. um, that basically has this tale. Um, but it really seems to me that this is the genesis of any instance of the Green Lady of Wahiwa that you see on anybody's website or in anybody's book. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that makes me think that is the simple fact that the Chamber of Commerce organized a search party. Mm. Now, if this had been like a centuries-old legend, mm-hmm. you know, or even something that even dated back to the early 1900s when this land was kind of settled, um, I wouldn't imagine that the Chamber of Commerce would organize a search party. Mm-hmm. It would just be another one of those like, oh, somebody says they saw it over here. Yeah. Yep, people have been saying they've been here or they've been seeing this lady down here for decades or hundreds of years or whatever. Yeah. But the fact that they take this more proactive uh, uh, reaction to it gives me the impression that they're like, oh, this is new. Mm. Oh, this is something weird. Oh, this is something that that we don't have experience with before, even if we think it might be some overactive imaginations of a bunch of fifth graders. I love this story for a lot of reasons. I'm so glad you picked it. Um, Oh. For one thing, the first picture it painted in my head was of probably the most famous universal monster movie monster of the 1950s, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Sure. Um, But in this case, it's like the, The Creature's Wife, which is like the best sequel to that movie we never got i mean we got bride of frankenstein we never got bride of the creature from the black lagoon you know that's um, a great ex- that's yeah um i i love the fact that it's a green creature last month i had a creature with green eyes so i'm wondering if next month we'll also have the color green somehow popping into our stories i think that's pretty cool too and for what it's worth creature from the black lagoon came out in theaters in 1954 Oh, so, okay, not too far. So so there may have been, you know, if this is something that was fully imagined, mm. you know, this this may be something that had been influenced mm-hmm. by that. So if, if Black Lagoon had come out in, say, 58 or 59, well, then we don't have that kind of inspiration. If since it came out in 54, there is at least kind of a precedent that, you know, an image that could have been put into a child's mind would have existed but i'm sorry please continue oh no no my, my last thought was just that if this had been a film like i think w- what i imagine the creature's motivation being is somehow tied to all of the um agriculture that's just starting up all of the commercial farms the industrial mm-hmm. agriculture maybe it's mm-hmm. like disrupting nature disrupting the natural environment of this creature you know so it's almost like you got the you know the rich howleys who are coming and taking the land 
uh, monetizing it, and then this is like the natural creature that's kind of like fighting back almost. That's like the that's like the plot that gets painted in my head. You know, what I, I mean? like that. Yeah, I like that. I totally like that for for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, um, least least of which is the the rich Howley is getting a comeuppance because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. I, I have I have feelings on that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I like that a lot. Um, and it it wouldn't it wouldn't be <laughs> it wouldn't be 2023 uh, if my searching for the Green Lady of Wahiwa did not bring up um, a soon to be opening Green Lady cocktail room <gasps> in Waikiki. Nice. Um, <clears throat> and. <laughs> And the train thinks it's a great idea as well. Thank <laughs> you, Union Pacific. Thank you, Union Pacific. I appreciate that. Or is it? Yeah, it's Union Pacific over there. Um, anywho, um, I, just for fun, just search Green Lady Waikiki. Um, their website is very, very basic. And it pretty much just directs you to their um, Instagram page yeah. where it's it's a, it's like a, it claims it's kind of they're their, their a secret hidden cocktail room mm. which i don't know we'll probably end up in a hotel somewhere i'm not sure but you know they've they've been very kind of mysterious with their pictures and mm. of 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 their location and uh and the cocktails they'll be mixing but i just like great we've gone full circle mm. we've started off with the green lady and now and now she's a cocktail room <laughs> in your research did it look like there were any subsequent sightings of the creature or i you know that's that's the other thing that's a really good question there there weren't there weren't there was just like seriously search green lady wahiwa um and you will get so many like travel blogs and not just you know like you know joe walks the world or whatever mm. it's it's you know it's expedia and it's TripAdvisor and it's all this kind of stuff where it's just they've got some intern who's like i've, I've got to write an article about hawaii this week and it's <laughs> october or whatever mm. and it's like oh uh 13 haunting tales of <laughs> hidden hawaii because i'm being alliterative <laughs> um and and it it doesn't talk about like oh in 1974 you know it was reported that Don Ho saw the Green Lady <laughs> you know or anything like that right. um, it literally it, it's vague the the tales are all really really vague you know they don't even they don't even necessarily get into like oh yeah 1957 this thing happened and people say they see no it's 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 literally it's 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 sugar coated it's smoothed over you know mm-hmm. it is it is a, a a shadow of its of its original self well that's one of the things i love about this season of our podcast because we're kind of taking these stories and we're sort of like almost drilling down to like the origin sort of that's what i I like doing yeah Yeah, totally it's interesting yeah totally so yeah there we have the the green lady of wahiwa thanks to the uh creator of the akualele uh (laughs) research what ufo research group sorry it's way up at the top of the screen uh, screen now yeah, the Akualele Research Group Bulletin of April 1957. Nice. Yeah. So, Seb? Yes. You, yours is titled Seven Steps to Hell, <laughs> which, I mean, based on just the title alone. Yikes. I mean, I kind of had to save it for last. <laughs> well, geez, I know. <laughs> 
I mean, you've been having your 666 number experiences. I've got an uh, episode or a, sh- a show, the ty- uh, story titled Seven Steps to Hell. Kind of now, wacky. Why, let's be honest. Why isn't it Six Steps to Hell? I mean, stay with the motif here. Uh, right. I know. It's like, what's that seventh step all about? Good question. I don't know. I don't know. So, um, yeah. So this, this story appeared in a 1969 issue of Capri News UFO Reports. Okay. That's the official publication of the Committee on Aerial phenomenon research investigations volume two number five Capri. all right we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well and um so okay full disclosure this article is about a very very famous ufo sighting the portage county ohio ufo case of 1966 and uh, our listeners might be wondering hey wait a minute sebastian um this whole season is supposedly about digging up obscure stories that maybe have been forgotten uh, by other researchers why are we talking why are you choosing to talk about a super famous ufo story yeah man what the heck well let me let me try to explain this um so uh i first read about this case back in the 1980s it was included in the famous time life mysteries of the unknown books which we, we know and love um it also inspired the police car ufo chase scene in steven spielberg's 1977 film close encounters of the third kind uh and I, of course i tip my hat to the late great melinda dillon the mom and that who had just passed away unfortunately yeah um however before i read this article a few weeks ago in capri i never knew about a significant but frequently omitted clue a clue that almost nobody has investigated to my satisfaction dun 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 <laughs> Okay, so... Who needs a soundboard when it gets sent around? <laughs> um, so I'm going to deviate slightly from how I organize the show notes uh, yeah, in our go document. For it. But, so go the, for it. Now, the general outlines of the case, they're very well known. Early on the morning of April 17th, 1966, several police officers in Northeast Ohio witnessed a low-flying UFO and followed it on a high-speed pursuit over 80 miles across the border into Pennsylvania until they ran out of gas. Oh, this case. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So a media circus ensued. The officers were interviewed by a U.S. Air Force major from Project Blue Book. The major took the negatives, the negative of one photo taken by one of the officers, and then claimed it showed nothing other than a photographic processing defect. But of course. But of course. He also also claimed that the officers had actually chased, chased the planet Venus even though Venus had risen at 335 that morning and would have been too high in the sky by the time of the sightings to be mistaken for an aircraft. Now, Blue Book's explanation drew condemnation from at least one congressman and also from Blue Book's own scientific advisor, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. In the meantime, several of the officers quit the force, got divorced, moved out of state, changed their names, lost their jobs, and became homeless, all because of the ridicule that you know followed them around basically you know you could you could almost wrap that sentence if you wanted to (laughs) well thank you (laughs) um uh so most accounts of the of the case that i've read focus more on what happened after the ufo departed what happened to the witnesses tragic tales of them Um, but it's the very beginning of this case that intrigues me the most so let's look at the capri article okay um, Dale Spore, a Portage County Sheriff's deputy in Barney Neff, noticed a red and white 1959 Ford sedan beside the road and stopped to check it out. The car itself 
was very strange, for on its side was a strange emblem with a bolt of lightning and the inscription, Seven Steps to Hell, written above it. The car was filled with walkie-talkies. Suddenly, Spore heard a humming sound from behind him. He turned and saw a huge saucer-shaped craft rising out of the woods. It was about 50 feet across and 15 to 20 feet high. It had a dome and antenna on the top. The entire underside gleamed with an intense purplish-white light. Neither could move. Spar knew he couldn't move, that his limbs would not work. The ship rose to about 150 feet and moved directly over the patrol car. Both Spore and Neff felt warm, pleasing heat from the light blazing from the bottom of the craft. The light was so intense that tears streamed from their eyes. At one point, Spar thought of going to the patrol car, yet he did not. Something told him that if he touched the car, it would disappear. I'm assuming they mean the UFO would disappear. I would, yeah, assume so. That's not great grammar, but yeah. Right. <clears throat> then the saucer moved from over the patrol car. Both men, as if on command, dashed from their cruiser. Spore radioed in, telling headquarters of the ship. The huge craft then moved away. Spore followed. The craft seemed to let it follow him. It waited for him at intersections. <sighs> He doesn't. Ooh. He doesn't know what happened to the to the sedan with seven steps to hell written on it, and he doesn't really care. His life was ruined by his, the saucer, so why should he? Unquote. So, okay. 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 In, interesting. So, I'm, if I may. Yes, please. Just kind of jump in here. Yeah. <clears throat> One, I I would love. I would love to see an artist's rendering of what this, let's see, 1966. So that was only a seven-year-old car. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Not particularly old. It was a Ford. So probably, I would imagine, a Fairlane. Okay. Those were pretty common at that point. <clears throat> With a bolt of lightning and the inscription, Seven Steps to Hell, written above it. That is just weird. Filled with walkie-talkies. That's the weirdest part about this whole thing. It's it like, really is. Yeah. So this, I read this article, and I'm it, like, what's going on here? Because all of the stuff I've ever heard about this case, I've never heard about this weird phantom car. No. Yeah. Not, not, not only that, but, like, this ship, like, seemed to let him follow it. Oh, yeah. for him at intersections. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Like, that's interesting. That, that, that like, screams phenomena. Exactly. To me. That it's, um, that's more of a, like, this is there for him kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. In fact, supposedly he saw it once again at, at later on before he left the forest months later. And really? By the, and by this time there was so much negative publicity that the, he and his fellow officers decided to use code words over the radio in case they were sought. So they gave it a nickname, Floyd. Floyd. So it was the saucer's name was Floyd. He saw Floyd. Floyd the, the Floyd the UFO. Floyd the UFO. Oh right. He could he could be a plush toy. Etsy sellers, get ready. <laughs> Floyd the UFO. <laughs> so anyway, so I feel that this was kind of okay. This is going to be my case for this month. I'm going to try to figure out everything I can about this car. What's going on here? And yeah. I, it's kind of fun because honestly, of the two of us brothers, like you're the one that's more of the expert in terms of researching old automobiles. So this mm -hmm. was kind of like new territory for me. So this was kind of fun. Um, the first thing I did was I found out that um, because there was so much media coverage at the time, there's actually a lot of almost contemporaneous audio radio news interviews with this deputy sheriff uh, that have been recorded and have been uploaded to YouTube. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I did was I listened to a lot of this audio to see if I could find any mentions of this mysterious Ford automobile. Um, and there actually were a couple little clips of it. So um, I put together a little audio package. It's about three minutes long. So maybe we can take a quick listen with our listeners to that. Yeah, absolutely. Let me cue 
that up and we'll play it right now. As we walk life's highway, remember, we shall not pass this way again. Be careful. Don't take the seven steps to hell. My name is Dale F. Spore. I saw an object by a, a, a car for the road, a Ford, and believed it to be abandoned. I made a U-turn on 44. I came back in behind the vehicle and to check it out, possibly stolen. Someone got a little carbon monoxide, uh, for whatever the case might have been. This is standard that we do check all vehicles that we find. My partner got out the right side. He went to the right front fender and missed the standard procedure. He covers anytime there's two men in the car. He observes both the rear window and the driver through the rear window and also the right door. Uh, it's sort of an insurance policy. I walked to the left rear of the car. I made a visual observation of the area around, uh, feeling that uh, it's always practice to check the area. Possibly someone was tired. They uh, want some relief. They walked in the edge of the woods to make sure that no one walked out and also as a precautionary measure to make sure there was no one going to come up behind us. And I saw this bright object uh, coming what would appear to be coming up from behind the trees, real low and very bright. And at first I, uh, I started to tell my partner what I seen and it kept getting bigger and closer. And then I asked him if he would turn and look over his shoulder. Uh, I didn't know if I was having hallucinations or not. Upside down, you turned it on, and you stood it right upon the beam and walked off and left the light standing by itself. So anyway, so let me just say, speaking as a person who still uses a flip phone and is barely able to use that, um, I, I had so much fun trying to sex up this little audio clip. So um, I'm very <laughs> proud of it in terms of you know creating a little audio thing that I think would be interesting. You did um, very well. Well, thank you. Um, he does talk about the car, but he doesn't talk about walkie-talkies or weird insignia or anything like that. So, okay, I thought, well, um, that wasn't very helpful. So then I thought, okay, well, maybe... You know, this Capri news article came out in 69. 
The sighting was in 66. That's like three years later. So is there any evidence that weird details about this automobile um, predated this story? So uh, sure enough, um, the de- these details about the abandoned car, the walkie-talkies, the weird logo, they're confirmed by an October 1966 article by John de Groot of the, okay. Ak- of the Akron Beacon Journal newspaper. So I thought, okay, so it's not just this random weird UFO newsletter that's spinning this weird yarn. Um, and... Then I started digging a little deeper, and I found that one of the only persons to investigate this abandoned car aspect of the encounter it was a researcher named Frank Riccaridi, um, which I hope I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> and he suggests that the car was used by a military intelligence unit, the 353rd Communications Reconnaissance Company. And this really piqued my interest for a lot of reasons. Um Especially because um, there are so many UFO tales where allegedly government or military uh, indivi- individuals are on the scene or they're trying to cover things up or, right. you know, retrieve, crashed, whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's so many of these stories. But if you could ever tie these stories to specific mili- identifiable military units, I think that that's always interesting because then potentially you could maybe track down a veterans group. You'd actually have maybe a roster of unit members, and then you could potentially, you know, reach out to folks and, you know, interview them and maybe learn more details, you know? Yeah. And for what it's worth, I'll just point out, because I, I, I'm looking at Frank's name here, I think it's Riccardi. Riccardi, of course. That's how I would pronounce it. Yes. Thank you. Frank Riccardi. Mm. I do apologize. No worries. <laughs> anyway, so... Here's Riccardi's theory. It goes something like this. The 353rd was a unit of the Pennsylvania National Guard, and the Pennsylvania state line wasn't too far away, so there's that connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the slogan, Seven Steps to Hell, um, that's actually uh, a slogan that is or was informally used by veterans of the United States 7th Army. Um, and until about 1954, the 353rd was a part of the 7th Army stationed in Germany, right? Hmm, okay. And then the other part of the theory is that in the, of course, military units have all sorts of different, like, insignias and patches and stuff. And in the language of military insignia, a lightning bolt can represent electronic communications, which was a specialty of the 353rd, right? Sure, sure, okay. So was this mysterious car discovered by the sheriff's deputies used by the 353rd? Um... Now, there's really an intriguing fact here. The 353rd had actually been part of something called the Army Security Agency. And this outfit was itself under the operational control of the director of the National Security Agency. Oh, look, there's the NSA again. The NSA again, right. Interesting. So then it's like you have to wonder, okay, was the NSA keeping tabs on the Portage County UFO? Or was the UFO itself a secret government project or something? So, okay, so now I'm thinking, okay, this is really interesting. Um, And I'm able to, there's a lot of, um, uh, I I was able to find a lot of documents on the NSA's website, you know, stating that the 353rd was, you know, getting like communications training and intelligence training and stuff. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I, I was totally unable to learn where the 353rd was stationed in 1966 or if it was even still in existence at that time right. i can't find anything i can't find anything else anything out after the mid 50s right and then i started thinking okay 
would a secret military unit actually use a vehicle with a weird logo painted on the side? I mean, we yeah. always think of like men in black having very like nondescript cars, almost like painfully obviously nondescript. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So um, nondescript that it actually stands out. Right. Totally. <clears throat> so then it's yeah. like, okay, what do I really know here? What do I really believe? So, um, and this is where I think I kind of, the, the case kind of broke open for me because um, immediately after news of this UFO sighting broke, there was an investigator from NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Right. Uh, there was an investigator by the name of William Weitzel. Weitzel? Weitzel. I don't know. Uh, Weitzel. Weitzel. Thank you. Thank That's you. how I, again, how I pronounce it. Right. Now, if he makes pretzels, it's Wetzel's. <laughs> right. That's different. We'll call him Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it. <laughs> so Bill, Bill arrived on the scene and met with the witnesses. And his his field notes they've been uploaded um, online. Uh, I think on the QFOS website. Um, mm-hmm. And his field notes are really really interesting, and they they paint a much more mundane picture of the mystery Ford. Um, and there's one part of his notes. Uh, and I'll quote it right here. It says, quote, we all, this is him meeting with the sheriff's deputies after the UFO sighting, going back okay. to the scene of the crime, so to speak. Okay. So, quote, we all drove to the exact spot on Route 224 and parked behind the abandoned Ford that Spore and Neff had stopped to look at. It Apparently, it was still parked there. Oh. It, it looked worth abandoning, rusty, battered, and the trunk lid held down with a spring attached to the rear bumper. Oh, boy. Spore, temporarily forgetting the UFO, looked inside for some evidence of ownership, but found none. And then it says, some excitable flying saucer believers believed for a few days that the owner had been kidnapped by little green men. But he, the owner of the car, was located in Meadville, Pennsylvania. The engine had thrown a rod. Oh, okay. So there was engine failure. Engine failure, right. Um, So this is interesting. I mean, I can't remember when Benny... Betty and Barney Hill, when their case took place, but... 61, um, I think. Oh, was it 61? Okay, so... I think so. So the idea of aliens abducting people had already been floating out there, but... Yeah. Apparently some people thought maybe the car... That's why the car was abandoned, basically. Um, So in conclusion, what does this all mean? Was the Ford an NSA saucer-chasing vehicle or not? Um, Honestly, I don't know. In my opinion, the walkie-talkies and the weird emblem on the door are the significant weirdness. Um... But unfortunately, the earliest report of these details are six months after the fact in that newspaper article. The UFO investigator's notes makes no reference of weird logos or walkie-talkies. In fact, if any of our listeners know of any earlier um, written accounts of these aspects of the Ford, please let me know because um, I I think that was the most interesting part about it, but it's not mentioned... um, in any like super contemporaneous accounts of it, either press yeah. accounts or investigator notes. <clears throat> um, perhaps the Ford was merely the car owned by a civilian veteran of the seventh U S army living in Meadville, Pennsylvania. And maybe he just painted the slogan for his unit on the car door. Um, but even if the Ford wasn't a spy mobile, I mean, one of the police officers who witnessed the craft was sure that quote, there was pressure. You couldn't put your finger on it, but the pressure was there, unquote. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was... Uh, I, I don't want to say that my investigation for this month's episode kind of was a dud or a bust, but I feel that um, we've definitely, or at least... Yeah, we've definitely been able to share with the listeners some details of this case that (laughs) an aspect of this case that's very poorly understood and little researched. But I think we've, you know, dug up some things that maybe other uh, websites haven't talked about, really, in regards to this car. Um, Well, yeah, let's I mean, let me break something down here. So so 
the the first correct me if i'm wrong but the first reference of this car having this slogan and lightning bolt on it mm-hmm. come from this issue of capri news no so the so so the the ufo sighting was in like april, april 66 six, so. yep so six months later in october 66 uh, a newspaper article comes out with the details of the logo and the walkie-talkies and that newspaper article gets like published like syndicated published in like dozens of newspapers across the country like everywhere. right the wires pick it up and spread it around yeah because basically it's sort <clears> of like it's a, it, that article it's painting a sad story of the of dale the deputy sheriff because at this point he's lost his job he's moved to another state he's like a, a semi-unemployed house painter mm. so so that article like it catches fire basically yeah and then three years later in 69 <clears throat> um this newspaper this ufo newsletter publishes an article that focuses just on the, the lo- this little car and the weird walkie-talkies and the logo and stuff. Right, yeah. but it, it, it picks up that detail most likely from that newspaper account. Yeah, exactly. Because <clears throat> we've got two instances of um, information through the QFO site mm-hmm. that just refer to it as uh, you know a broken-down, rusted-out, failed engine yeah um plain old ford like there's 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 no detail of anything on the doors or anything even inside the vehicle exactly and you'd think that if if the nsa is driving a car around it's not going to be the kind of car that has its bumper being held closed with a spring or whatever you know what i mean i mean unless they're deep undercover and but i doubt that (laughs) i doubt that i know that midwest winters can be very uh taxing on vehicles Uh but i would like to think that the nsa would keep their vehicles in better condition than that right exactly our tax dollars Uh, yeah exactly um Uh. interesting it it, so so i I wish i wish a photo existed oh yeah no that would wish a photo existed because that would that would solve things one way or the other or a police report (laughs) with a license plate number or just something exactly exactly Um, because that would even tell you if it came out of Pennsylvania or if it was from Ohio. Exactly. Um, I, I mean, my gut says that for some reason, the newspaper, whoever wrote that article was looking for something to spice it up a little bit. Totally possible. Totally possible. Yeah. I thought that too. That's Um, kind of my gut reaction. mm -hmm. Now the, the actual, you know, significance of the lightning bolt and that slogan is interesting uh-huh. like like it's not just something random and made up there there actually is something solid behind that mm-hmm. um yeah the the, the little I, logo used by the seventh <laughs> army it was like it looked like a pyramid but it had seven steps on it and the seven was for it was the seventh army okay so, so the idea of the seven steps to hell like it's like you would climb these seven steps on this little pyramid on this military patch kind of thing right okay yeah. right so it was a little bit more of a central american pyramid than an egyptian one <laughs> right yes exactly i mean just to put that out there <laughs> interesting i yeah i don't know I don't know 100% what to make. Yeah, I mean, because potentially it could have been, you know, one possibility. There's a guy living in Pennsylvania. He's has this car for whatever reason. He paints the slogan on it. And maybe he's a, a, a ham radio buff or, a, a, I don't know, or a, you know, CB radio. Not they didn't have CB radio in the 50s, but a walkie-talkie buff. I don't know what you would call yeah, it. Yeah, no, know. just he's a radio geek. He's a radio mm-hmm. geek. His car breaks down. He walks away from it and he leaves all his radios in there. I mean, that's one 
possibility. But I don't know. Maybe it says more about me, the fact that I would think that a car full of walkie-talkies abandoned when a big UFO shows up is like super, you know, it's like, what's the, what are the chances? It's like, what, that's a big coincidence, you know, it's well, kind of suspicious. It, 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 I think it, I think it only comes across with that significance because in the article you chose, it describes the craft as having an antenna on it. Oh, that's, and that's, that's a feature that is, is widely reported in, and every every source I've ever seen about this yeah. case, the, the 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 UFO investigator notes, the newspaper articles, and the audio recordings that are made within the same thirty eight six hour period of the sighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe it was they were commu- trying to communicate with the UFO, maybe or something, or something. You know, yeah. or if it if it was like actually a terrestrial craft rather than aliens, mm-hmm. or if it was extraterrestrial but it had been recovered and they were trying to fly it mm-hmm. you know um but then again we've got the aspect of of the description of it being like you know it waited for me at intersection yeah it's a it's a bizarre story i mean there are elements in it that are 10 times 100 times more bizarre than the, the element that i focused on for tonight's episode but um those 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 parts are like a lot more well-known and researched, I guess. Yeah, it would try. It would, like, it would stop for him. Um, it would like try to slow down at certain points. You know, that he he felt that it was trying to slow down so yeah. he could catch up to it, kind of thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I I I totally get that. But this is, I mean, this is a worthwhile thing. This is something that a lot of the popular accounts don't cover. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, why not do a why not uh, drill down on that? Mm-hmm. And see what's there. Yeah. Um, the only other detail that I could dig up was in I would search like newspaper website databases mm-hmm. to see what I could come up with that slogan. And there were lots of cases where there would be um, like reports of biker brawls and bikers getting arrested by police and they would be wearing leather jackets with that logo on it the, the slogan mm-hmm. at least you know because maybe they were veterans of the seventh army or something oh gotcha 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 okay that makes sense um one thing i did mean to mention at the top of the show mm. um and i i forgot to add it in what's new in my weird and i want to mention Ooh. it right now yeah. just because just because it is from this morning um is that the most recent episode because it just dropped today of the haunted objects podcast Mm. um focuses on um the space brothers most electable friend gabe green yes (laughs) um and so they they talk about um they talk about him they talk about uh his his run for president yeah um the the fun fact that you know he technically got more votes than kanye did (laughs) wow in the most recent election um uh but they also they also bring up uh his bus oh yes you've talked about his volkswagen bus yeah and mention that they 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 talk about the fact that you know that he was coming up this way Mm -hmm. uh for a flying saucer convention over here in pleasanton Mm-hmm. at the fairgrounds and i had actually tweeted at greg i was like hey i actually um am i i need to try and get in touch with the uh folks at the at the at the fairgrounds there to see if there's any sort of historical uh record if they've got anything from that far back i realistically mm-hmm. i don't think they do but it's mm-hmm. worth checking 
and he said that he's got some some scans of some I think pamphlets or something, mm -hmm. and he's like that might might give you something to go on, and that he was going to be posting them to the Patreon soon. So I'm like, I'm gonna have to check that out. See, you got to find this old Volkswagen, and I've got to find the old Ford. Yes, that's exactly. right. It's more more car issues this <laughs> month. Yeah. Anywho, uh, I love it. Anywho, yeah. Always fun. So yeah. I will always, always, always recommend the Haunted Objects podcast. It's a lot of fun to listen to or to watch mm. um, over on the YouTubes. Nice. <clears throat> Anywho. Yeah, but then anyway, so that's my story for this month. Uh, that's a good one. No, <laughs> I'm it's sticking a to good it. one. I yeah. like it. I like it. Um, I would love to see artist renditions, both of the Green Lady mm -hmm. and of this car with its alleged logos. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Well, every month Seb is going to dig into the old timey newspaper archives. I guess this year he's digging into them twice <laughs> uh, to unearth a story of high strangeness. Seb, do tell, do tell. What do we have? Well, Taylor, er earlier you mentioned a story of a chamber of commerce from Ho the great state of Hawaii. Yes. And I'm gonna I'm gonna see your bid and raise it. I'm gonna give you another story about a chamber of commerce. So okay. This month's article comes from the Oakland Tribune newspaper of November 7th, 1956. All right. Again, sticking with the 50s here. I like this. Yep. So it's an early account of an entire community, in this case, San Luis Obispo, California, coming together to welcome space visitors. Oh, okay. This is a fun one. Uh, quote, for the first time in history, a city is organizing to meet visitors from space. The city of San Luis Obispo and the Chamber of Commerce have officially declared November 7th as Flying Saucer Day. Oh and, my God! I I feel like I need to contact the city of San Luis Obispo and be like, "Do you guys still celebrate this on November seventh? <laughs> so they declared November seventh is Flying Saucer Day, and we're preparing today for the possible but not very probable landing of men from other worlds. The Student Engineering Council at Cal Polytechnic Institute and mm -hmm. local merchants mm -hmm. were cooperating to contact and welcome Martian visitors tonight. The preparations were made following a report of a, by a group of saucer scientists in Paris and London that a landing of spacemen could be expected in the Los Angeles area on the night of November 7th. Oh my, okay. A, sec <laughs> a second report by the scientists said space visitors would try to contact Earth through any radio or television station that was willing to tune in. Executives of Radio KATY promptly arranged for the station to be off the air for a short time during the night to receive any signals. Cal Poly will have 11 direction-finding transmitters and receivers in operation. An airplane will be standing by at San Luis Obispo Airport. Two Air Force-type plotting boards have been set up. An appliance store was to set up 13 television sets, one on each channel, in, any, in case any space visitors try to contact Earth by cutting in on the old movie. Interesting. Uh, and, and talk about mispronunciations. A meter and a uh, magnetometer <laughs> and other recording instruments have been set up to determine the skin temperature of any unidentifying flying objects and whether the Earth's lines of magnetic force have been warped in any way, unquote. Wow, they're really going all in on this. I gotta tell you, this story, it's not like a big mystery story, but it's fun. It's just really fun. It's it sort is of like, fun. It's sort of like the reverse of the um, Grover's Mill uh, War of the Worlds uh, terror mm -hmm. you know this mm -hmm. is more like a community coming together to kind of have fun with it it's almost like hey hey kids we're gonna put on a show you know yeah um, 
I mean, I, I love the fact that you have, like, Cal Poly students with actual hardcore scientific equipment, and then you have, like, the guy running the local television appliance store just setting up all the TVs in the window to see if any aliens show up on the screen. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, this is this is almost 20 years before stuff like the, um, you know, the, 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 the South England interruption from... Oh, right. Mm-hmm. from from the ashtar command mm-hmm. um so so there's at least the idea you know of of extraterrestrials ultra terrestrials whatever you want to call them using our frequencies i have a, a co-worker who's a good a good fan good friend of our show mm-hmm. and his uh father-in-law uh, was a teenager in san luis obispo at this time he's still alive so he was gonna oh. ask and see if he remembers any of this stuff basically oh my gosh i would love to yeah. hear anything yeah. about that please next month report back now just for the record that. oh yes i will definitely report back um and i couldn't find any evidence that this um effort resulted in any findings or discoveries or landings Mm. or anything Mm -hmm. like that um i will say it's really interesting though because if you actually look at that page of the oakland tribune newspaper the article literally next to this article is about some sort of something or other going on with the um foreign materials foreign materials division at wright patterson air force base oh interesting which has nothing i mean the article has nothing to do with ufos (laughs) but of course that's a place that many UFO researchers believe is is very central to the UFO mystery. Um, Definitely, which is really kind. Of, I thought that was just kind of a funny synchronicity there. That but, is, um, that is. I like yeah, that. Yeah, man, we got a, we had a, like a lot of fun articles tonight. This was really totally, cool. totally. Yeah, this this was a great one. Yeah, um, and I am absolutely going to <clears throat> reach out on probably social media somewhere and find you know like the san luis obispo chamber of commerce or or something historical society and be like do you guys still celebrate this on november 7th here's this article that we found in our research they totally should i hope they do i hope they do and if they don't i hope they bring it back because of us i mean you think about the 50s ufos they were they were so stigmatized back then and Mm -hmm. here's today it's like we think of like communities like maybe roswell or or Rachel Nevada as trying to maybe quote unquote cash in on UFOs. And this is almost like, like way before it's time, you know, in many ways. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, that's a fun one. That's really cool. So yeah, cool. Nice. All right. Well, that is it for this month. Thank you for joining us on this adventure into the weirdness that surrounds us every day and the weirdness that surrounds us back in the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got an experience you want to share with us, if you got questions or if you got a tip, if you've had, mm-hmm. uh, uh, information pertinent to some of the cases we're talking about here, shoot us an email at allnightgeeks at gmail.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at All Night Geeks. You can follow me on Twitter at BusBuddha71. And you can follow Seb at Clan McMuffin. Indeed. Hey, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever else. Uh, and be sure to rate and review us as well. And just as important, share us with your friends. Man, word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around. And we'd appreciate it if you told at least one friend about the podcast. Or if you want to confuse your enemies, tell them about the podcast. We'll take listeners from both sides of that. Big thanks, as always, to the Ghoulies for letting us use Hot Rods from Outer Space from their album Midnight in America as our intro and outro music. Please go give them a follow on the socials uh, and hit up thegghouliesdenver.bandcamp.com to buy their music. And if you ever forget that, it's in the show notes. 
Now, we've got merch, and I know I keep talking about other shirt ideas that I have, but oh, life's been busy mm. lately. I'm sorry. It will happen at some point. But you can get our shirt, or even stickers, probably buttons, at shop.spreadshirt.com slash N-O-T-L-G. You could probably slap it on a sweatshirt, too, because, man, we've got some Arctic Blast coming. Mm. It'll probably have passed before you'll actually get it shipped. But you know what? The next one that comes along, because climate change um so go check that out and as always uh huge thanks to kate the steam powered mouse for doing the show's artwork um if you want to throw a few bones our way you can do that at patreon.com slash n-o-t-l-g that all goes to uh keeping the hosting going keeping the lights on here uh at hq and that is it for us this month we will catch you in april and in the meantime get out find something weird do some research and get people to i don't know celebrate the space brothers again <laughs> right indeed indeed good night everyone good night folks And it's like, oh, uh, 13 haunting tales of hidden Hawaii because I'm being alliterative.